<laughs> that's that's, that's the, my, my understanding of the book. So, yes, yes. So, um, uh, then we had a couple weeks this week and next week before Easter. Um, next week we're going to have a special speaker come in. And where did Deb go? I guess she's not in here. Um, so someone that, uh, that Deb said, so you're gonna, it's a mystery. You're going to have to come back and find out next week what, what she's going to be talking about. But I've been promised that it's, it's really worth, the, uh, worth hearing uh, what, the, what she has to say. Um, so this week, we're going to look at um, a special topic that I'll tell you in just a, just a second. But um, let's, uh, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, we thank you that you uh, continually love us, continually fill us. Uh, Father, thank you for your word and how it instructs us uh, of you and of uh, the things that you've done for us and continue to do for us and how you love us. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that we would quiet our ears and quiet our minds and uh, just fill, fill them with your thoughts. Father, we just commit this time to you, and I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I thought it might be helpful to get into a kind of a, a Easter frame of mind, because that's coming up in a, in a few weeks. And um, I was thinking this morning, you know, we, we see these movies and stuff like that about the, uh, about the uh, president, you know, in the middle of the night, it's 3 a.m., and something's going on, and one of his aides knocks on his door, Mr. President, Mr. President, we got a problem in Syria. We need you to come on out here and, and that. So I just think, think back to after Jesus was crucified, Sunday morning, really early, and somebody's knocking on Caiaphas's door. Caiaphas, we got a problem. He's risen. <laughs> what do you think Caiaphas would, would have been thinking right about then? Oops. Going to be some guards paying the price. Some, something happened. Um, was Caiaphas a Sadducee? Do you know? Um, more than likely. I yes. think I, that's yes. what I. That's the, the best high, I could. The high priests and the priestly class were almost always Sadducees. Yeah. So he, he was probably a Sadducee, which means he didn't believe in resurrection at all. So he wakes up and finds out that the tomb is empty. So what are you going to do with that? Pastor Joel, in, in his sermon a couple weeks ago, was talking about the plot, plot twists. And, uh, and that's always, in my, in my vernacular, and, and I've mentioned this before, but God. That's, that's where the plot twist comes. You know, Caiaphas thought... The Jews thought that Christ was crucified. He was dead. He was in the, in the tomb. And he was. And they thought that was the end of it. But God had other ideas. So um, he thought that he had taken care of that political problem. On celebrated Passover, life was good. And uh, so now, now he's got an, got an issue. So what was the... Uh, what was the, the resurrection, and what, what is the point? What is, the, what is it all about? Fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of prophecy? Absolutely. 
historical event. Yeah, we're going to talk about that more in, in just a minute. Um, <clears throat> defeated death, which is critical, <coughs> because how would we have any any hope? And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes too. So, in in Paul's in the bottom line is the the resurrection is everything. It was completely central to the to the teaching of the apostles. Everything that they taught revolved around uh, resurrection. So Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, could somebody read that to us? <clears throat> for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So, first importance. I mean, that's, that's the top of the list of, of things that, that Paul uh, wanted to get across. Jesus was executed. <clears throat> he was buried. And now he's alive. And he points out that we've seen it. Um, and if you didn't see it, you know people who saw it. So, you know, witnesses are there. And so it's as hard as it is to believe, there's a lot of people who can testify to this, to this truth. Um, so I think that's important for them to establish uh, the, the truth of that back, back then. And along the same lines... Uh, this was Peter's first sermon, the day of Pentecost, and remember they were the the disciples were together, and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and the the tongues of fire, and and all that kind of stuff. The the people that were around them heard the apostles speaking in their own languages, languages that the, the apostles didn't know, and they thought the guys were drunk, and so. Peter stood up, and, and among the other things that he said, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, they knew Jesus. They had watched him minister among them, among the, the people for three years. Um, they knew what, what, and this is the thing that is hard for me to understand, although I know with my sinful nature, just like their sinful nature, I would have been right there in that crowd probably yelling crucify him too because, I mean, we're sinners and that's, that's what, we, what we'd have been doing. They watched him. I mean, they, can you think about some of the miracles that he did, some of the signs and wonders that he did? Um, he fed the, the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. Um, people were blind, and now they see. People were lame, and now they walk. Um, and he did all these things in public. He did all these things in amongst the crowd. They knew him. They knew what he had been doing. And these signs pointed toward God uh, working through him. Even the Sanhedrin. You remember they came, or when uh, Nicodemus, my mind is failing me right now. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Jesus 
we know that, that you're from God because we see the signs that you're doing. So even Nicodemus could see that. And um, so they knew that, um, that, that God was at work um, through Jesus, but they killed him. Um, and after, as a result of, of Peter saying this, then 3,000 were added to the church that day. Um, I didn't write the quote down, but it also, it always kind of amuses me that, um, well, amuse is not the right word because we're talking about when Stephen got martyred, um, which is not amusing. What amuses me is the, the Pharisees' reaction or the, the religious elite's reaction to what Stephen was saying. Stephen was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Stephen was saying, I see Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. Heavens are opening up and I see him. And what did the, the Pharisees do? Do you recall? They stopped their ears and had him stoned. So, you know, we talk about cancel culture today and we talk about snowflakes today. They were grown men with their fingers in their ears because they couldn't hear what he, they, they couldn't allow themselves to hear what, what he was saying. Um, so they stopped their ears up so they didn't have to listen to him and then, and then they had him stoned. Um, so that, that's the part that's humorous, um, that, that, that that was their response to, to that um, teaching that they, that they didn't want to uh, didn't want to hear. And why didn't they want to hear it? Do you think? It completely wiped out what they had devoted their whole lives to. But there, yeah, and that can't can't work. Yeah, <laughs> he's not in the tomb anymore. What about individually? Not not so much theologically, but but individually is. Um, me as a man standing there, if I had been uh, one of those, why would I have a, an issue personally with that? If, if you consider that it might be true, then you have to do something with that truth. Exactly. You have to interact with that. And, and that's the same today, too. And, and that, that's my point. Is we all have to interact with that truth. So if I'm standing there and... Like, uh, like Peter said here, um, you crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. I've got to deal with that. I've got to deal with that guilt. Because if I'm responsible for that, then now I have that guilt, and now what am I going to do with it? So I can't hear it. I, I've got to stop my, my ears up and, and have him stoned so he'll be quiet so I don't have to... Listen to it, so I don't have to deal with it. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but if, and, and I say this because Paul writes a lot of his letters as if he's kind of having a discussion with somebody that's opposed to him. <clears throat> and there were some people in, in Corinth that were teaching that there was no resurrection. 
So Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So I wouldn't give my opponent, if I was having a debate or a discussion, I wouldn't give my opponent the, the key to the argument against me. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. If you want to negate Christianity, then negate the resurrection. And that's the bottom line. That's, um, if, if the resurrection is not true, then that is the fatal flaw in the argument. That's our total strongest point. That's our total strongest point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it stands or falls on that point. And that's how confident he is of, of that point. And again, what, what made him confident of that? He met him. <laughs> I, met the, I met the risen Christ. And I'm telling you that if, if he didn't rise, all this is in vain. Um, and your faith is in vain. And so that's, that's um, something that, that we can take to the bank. Right. Why are you going to follow a madman? Exactly. And that's what someone mentioned over here, the fulfillment of prophecy. Because we know that, that Christ, before he was crucified, he said, you tear this down and I'm going to build it back up in three days. And so he told the, the disciples beforehand um, that, that he was coming back. So either this is true, the resurrection, or... None of it's true. Um, as it says here, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's pretty harsh. But again, Paul was, was definite. Paul saw him. Paul knew the truth. And so he was proclaiming that truth. So again, that's, that's a central issue is central teaching the scripture and it's something that we all have to uh, we all have to uh, come into into grips with but so the question is for us how do we know we know how paul knew how do i know so scripture so, okay, that's how I know, because I believe Scripture is inspired, but if you're going to interact with somebody who isn't, because, again, yeah, Pastor, pa I'm, I'm blaming it all on Pastor Joel, because he, <laughs> he started this train of thought in, in me a while back. Um, if you're going to interact with a non-believer, they're going to say, well, yeah, well, I don't believe in Scripture, so yeah, I don't believe the heaven. That's all science. The bodies are the way they are just because, you know, whatever. Talking to somebody who doesn't believe, if they're a true cynic, there's not a whole lot you can do with them. If they're a skeptic, you got a got a crack there. Got a little crack, and, yeah. But ultimately, it isn't by our inc 
incredible persuasive speech. It's the Holy Spirit who takes one person who hears the same thing and another who hears the same thing, and one turns to Christ and the other turns his back or her back to him. Right. Exactly. And, and any good Presbyterian will tell you that we're not ever going to argue anybody into the kingdom. And, and I wouldn't, wouldn't tell you that either. What we can do, though, is we can kind of disarm some of those arguments against to where that person comes into, into contact with that truth to open that crack. Right. And you can argue it from a non-faith standpoint that that scripture is, is true, it's accurate. You cannot find any any falsehood in it. And um, you can prove the validity of the scriptures more than you can prove any of the other ancient writings. And, right. Uh, so then, if scripture's true, then all of it is true. And you have to deal with it. And we have to deal with it, yeah. Right. So, Right, so they stop their ears. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very powerful uh, tool as well, is seeing the, the power of Christ in someone else um, points towards him. Um, so how do we know, and just take a little detour through, um, history, which I'm not a historian by any stretch, um, how do we know anything in the past is true? Like I've mentioned before, you know, the Ides of March, 44 BC, uh, Julius Caesar, Caesar was killed and blah, blah, blah. How do you know that stuff? How do we know that? There are other writings by Josephus and others. Yeah, there are other historians yeah. from the time. Are they all equally reliable? <laughs> What makes more, uh, old old what makes old accounts more or less reliable than one or another? Well, I mean, number of manuscripts doesn't that all have the same is definitely one factor. Um, if it's proved through multiple sources, you know, those sorts of things, which of course scripture has more copies than any yeah. other ancient. Yeah. Book. You know, I mean, if By we're going to believe anything about the ancient world then there's more evidence for in the biblical texts than anything else. So, you know, those who say you can't believe scripture, like you were saying, you know, then they also have to discount all of ancient history. Right. You know? Right. So if you want to do that, fine, but that seems... And, I mean, and then they, they weigh whether the source is friendly mm -hmm. to that point of view. Right. Like, if I were to say... I've known Tom Roberson and, and liked him for the last, okay, we love him, for the last 30-something years, and he's as honest as the day is long. Well, if you didn't know Tom, well, you'd say, okay, well, you like him, so you, you think well about him. So we'll take, you know, that counts for something, but if I said, he's the biggest scallywag there is, but he's as honest as the day is long, then that's going to count for more because you don't like him, but you're still saying that he's honest. Mm -hmm. So you're going to think that he's honest. I think he's honest, by the way. <laughs> Rilla thinks he's a scallywag, but that's different. <laughs> so there's different, different weights of evidence that, that, that they have. 
So I just, I picked up this book. Um, if you guys want to look through it, you can. It's not written by a Presbyterian, so I'll give you that, that heads up. But it's also not really a theology book. It goes into the, some of the histor history, historical reasons um, why we have evidence for, for the resurrection. And like was mentioned, we have other writings. And I find myself sometimes getting boxed in to where I think that, that the scripture is all that there was. Now, scripture is on a different weight than all those other writings. We have the early church fathers. We have uh, historians like Josephus. There were some Roman historians from the time. So there's a lot of different sources. And so these guys, um, this is their little book. They've got a, a series that's much bigger, um, but there's a lot of footnotes in here and a lot of the uh, references to the historical um, evidence that's outside the Bible. If you ever get curious about it and, and want to look it up, there's another really good book, and for some reason the author has escaped me, although he's a Roman. Um, it's I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. And it just. Roots away. Is it? Yeah, but uh, it, it's a pretty thick book. Yeah. But it's great. So there, there's a lot of evidence out there, and these guys have the approach that they they take what they call a minimalist approach when they're talking to skeptics. Um, and they take, there's four facts that um, the, uh, their criteria are, there, there's four facts where the data is pretty solid historically. Not, not from a Christian perspective, but just from a secular historian's perspective. Um, and that the data are granted by virtually all scholars on the subject, even the skeptical ones. So there's four facts where those two criteria are met. And then there's another, another fact, and we'll go through them here in just a second. There's another fact where the data are strongly evidenced and the data are, gra are, are granted by almost all scholars. So it's not quite as, the fifth one is not quite to the, to the same level from a secular perspective. So we'll just go through these real quick. Number one is Jesus died by crucifixion. That's well attested. The, the historians, um, the secular historians, all that kind of stuff, um, they all agree. There was a quote, do you know who the Jesus seminar, seminar have you heard the Jesus seminar? And if you haven't, it's a, it's a very liberal group and they basically look at a passage and they vote on whether it was true or not. <laughs> Literally. They have colored stones and they'll, they'll say, no, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus probably said that. Jesus may have said that. So anyway, the, the leader, one of the leaders of the Jesus seminar says that he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. So this is even the skeptics are saying he was crucified. <clears throat> Jesus' disciples believed he rose and appeared to them. That's also well attested in extra biblical sources that the disciples um, saw him. The disciples, so you're going to have to explain it some other way, like, you know, group, uh, uh, group hypnosis or hallucination. That's, that's the other word that I was looking for. So you're going to have to explain it in another way, but, but the disciples thought that they saw him. And remember, it wasn't a particularly popular time to be a witness. What was going on during that time to people who were Christians? 
persecution. How many of the disciples wound up being martyred? All but one. So, um, you know, for instance, if the body had been stolen away, as, as some people have, have supposed, the disciples would have been in on that, or at least they would have heard about it. And it's one thing for me to say that I would die for my beliefs, but why would anybody, or how could anybody, die for what they knew was a hoax? If they knew that, that, that it was a hoax, uh, they wouldn't have gone um, through the torture, um, getting beaten, getting executed, and all that kind of stuff that, that they wound up going through. Third one, the church persecutor Saul was suddenly changed. So Saul, you'll remember, was a poster boy for, for upward mobility. He was born to the right family. He had the right education. He was serious about his business. He was zealous for the church. Um, he was out to rid the church of, of what he viewed as, as all the bad apples who, uh, who had gone astray. But God, plot twist, had other plans. And Saul became both a friendly source and a hostile source of uh, witness. Um, and so he had, had been a persecutor until he came face to face with reality. So he had a, a powerful testimony in that he had seen both sides of the coin. And, and he could tell them, you know, this, this is um, what I saw. And the skeptic James, the brother of Jesus, was suddenly changed. I never really realized it until I was looking, looking into this. Um, but according to the extra biblical sources, James was, was known to be a pious Jew. So I've thought about this before you know, when we were, you know, thinking about teaching the book of James and, and all that kind of stuff. But what it must have been like to be a sibling of Jesus. I mean, that would be, that would be difficult um, because he's the big brother and there's always, you know, that little bit of rivalry. And I mean, how are you going to compete with that? He's perfect. Mom loves him <laughs> more than the rest of us. Um, but anyway, James was, was known to be a pious Jew, and um, you've probably heard um, him referred to as camel knees before. Um, and what I was reading indicated that, that, they, that he was that way before he was converted to Christianity, that he spent a lot of time in the temple praying for people. But he saw Jesus, and remember that passage that we, we talked about from 1 Corinthians uh, at the beginning, where it specifically mentioned that Jesus appeared to James, um, he saw Jesus, and he became a leader of the early church. He became one of the big guys of the early church, um, and he was also martyred. So again, he was the brother. I mean, he had special knowledge, and, and he was the brother, and, and he saw these things uh, for what they were. And he was martyred for what, what he knew. And then the fourth, the fifth one is that the tomb was empty. And again, that one is not as universally accepted by the skeptical scholars as, as the others are. Um, I think it was only about 75% of the skeptical scholars grant this one. But the big, the big question is, what would the, what would the, um, Sanhedrin have had to do to, to discount Christianity, just nip it in the bud. Show me the body. Why didn't they? 
one, one. <laughs> um, so instead, what did they do? They said that the disciples stole the body. What did that accusation prove? They didn't have to be that the tomb was empty. <laughs> because if the tomb wasn't empty, they wouldn't have to come up with, a, with an alternative story for why it was empty. So um, they kind of uh, helped our cause rather than, rather than helping their own. So the point is, we can't argue anybody into the kingdom, but we can bring people face to face with the reality. Um, I've had people um, that I've talked to, uh, atheists, and um, you know, I I try not to, I try to be nice and keep the conversation going, um, and you know, they'll come up with with a, a a problem and then another problem and another problem, objections here and there and everything else. And finally, you get to the point where you're like, okay, what is the, the objection that I can answer where you're going to actually take this seriously? And the, if they're honest, they'll say, well, there isn't one. Okay, fair enough. We're still friends, but we don't need to talk about that anymore because, you know, they're not, they're not ready. They're, their eyes are not open to, to see the reality. So... You can take away the objections, but if, if they're still there, then, then they're going to, uh, God is just going to have to open their eyes uh, to, to where they're op open to it. And I have told one, one time, I said I don't have, I, that I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist. And, um, or was it, I didn't have enough faith, well, yeah, something like that. Either atheism or, or evolution, I didn't have enough faith to, to believe in evolution or something like that. And they, they thought I was being a smart aleck, and I said, no, seriously. I'd, and then I went through some of the assumptions that you would have to believe in order to hold to that, that position, and I said, I, I, can't, I can't make that jump. There's no reason for me to. But anyway, some, sometimes that will continue the conversation, but sometimes then you got to go on and talk about football or something. <laughs> so here's the, the, the big question. What does it mean about us, or what does it mean to us? Um, because we all have to, we all have to interact with this question. And really, it's not something that even as a Christian, and there's there's a lot of gray hairs in this room. Um, there's not that's not something that we can interact with once and be done with it. This is something that we have to interact with a lot, like all the time. Yeah. Because of my belief in the afterlife. That didn't convince him at all. <laughs> Prayer. <laughs> well, I think, um, wasn't it Paul that said, um, if this isn't true, then we may as well eat and drink and be married because, you know, right. what is the point? So it, it is something that, that we have to interact with. We have to, we have to face it. <clears throat> 
Um, and that, that's a good lead into to what the first, uh, uh, what difference does it make in our lives? The first is hope. It's like you said. Uh, Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's central. It's right there. This is the, the crux of the issue, that, um, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's our hope. And that's, um, that's always our hope. And um, elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. What does that mean? There's more to follow. There's more coming. Where does that come from, the, um, that term, first fruit? It's the custom when the festivals would be ending. When the, when the harvest would be coming in. Right. It's like, that was like, oh, okay, hey, now the oranges are going to come. And then there's, you can expect that tomorrow there's going to be more oranges than there were yesterday, and they're going to continue to happen. It's, it's not just sort of like, you never have an, an orange tree that just grows one orange, right. and then you're like, well, that's over. That's yeah, over. It's like, that was good while it yeah, lasted. That's just the first one. Yeah. So... One of the uh, commentators that I read said, uh, indeed, Jesus did not come to earth, die on the cross, and rise from the dead for himself, but for those whom he redeems. A gospel without the tenet of resurrection has no message of redemption. I talk to people often about that sort of thing. And what's the point of Christ coming, dying, could have gotten to God through Judaism, Buddhism, Confucius, you know, just any, any string of them. There's no point. Right. So, you know, Christ, as Rhonda said, Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. It makes us so dogmatic, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, This is true because we're right and you're wrong. Right. You know, I was having a conversation over lunch with one of our twenty-somethings you know, um, the other day, and you know she struggles with how can this be the only way? And we talked about how all the other religions are us working our way to God, mm -hmm. and how impossible that is. You know, it's like if you actually believe God is holy, and that is a, a, a supposition you have to have. But if you believe God's holy, we can never get there. Christianity is the unique religion that says that God reached down and, and rescued us, you know, and I think that realizing that, you know, truth is often unique, 
-hmm. You know, and I think that that's what sets it apart. And just helping her mull over that, you know, that this is what sets it apart. And so, you know, her friends can be sincerely wrong in what they believe. You know, it's not that we're saying you don't believe. It's just that what you believe might not be true, you know. And, And that's a delicate conversation. And it requires more prayer than talking and a lot of listening to. But I thought that that was important. You know, you gotta. That that's the thing. It's like our what we believe is fundamentally different because we can never work our way up to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the only way not to. Mm-hmm. And we can be assured of our salvation as well. Right. Whereas no other religion can no. say that because it's not up to us. They they it's a scale. You just hope that there's. Yeah. That's literally what, what uh, Muslims believe. As long as I tip the scale just slightly just over, a little. I'm good. And I spoke to a Muslim student of mine one time, and I said, how do you become acceptable to God? And she said, I have to be really good. I said, how do you know when you're good enough? Yeah, I'm good. And she, she had no answer. Right. And then I didn't also add that women aren't in the picture anyway. Yeah. You're kind of you're kind of on the outs unless you were, are a martyr or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's that's hard to uh, hard to picture living in that, that system because I have, I have no frame of reference for that personally um, because you know, I grew up in, in a Christian church and Somewhere along the way. I've uh, <laughs> I've heard too along those same lines. Well, that's not fair. And I guess from our perspective, it probably isn't. Yeah, and the response to that I've heard is, uh, well, what universe were you comparing this one to to make the claim that it wasn't fair? <laughs> well, and that's a fundamental. What's not fair is that any of us should be saved. Right. Like, that's yeah. what's not fair. But, you know, we come at it from, well, of course everybody should be saved, at least uh, as long as they're pretty good, you know, because that's our, that's our cultural theology. But, yeah, it, but, you know, when you start thinking about, well, you know, should there be justice? Should wrong be punished? <coughs> Most of us do believe that. But, you know, but we think that yeah. we're good enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll squeak in and yeah, exactly. hunt the bar. <laughs> We're grading on it. Not as bad as that guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How does any great sinner ever get reconciled without help from someone like like Jesus? Right. I mean, you know, it would be it would be actually no hope for us. Yeah. I mean we have to have a savior. Because we can't do it ourselves. <clears throat> um Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, what is the, <laughs> uh, and Paul is 
praying to the, for the Ephesian congregation that God would open their eyes to, to certain truths. One of them is that what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the same power that, Christ, that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that he's using in our lives today. And that's where we get that assurance. That's where we get the, the people who can see Christ in us um, because that same power is at work in us. <clears throat> and of course, my favorite passage, I couldn't do a Sunday school lesson without this one. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that's where we're headed. We're seated with Christ by that power, that resurrection power that, that God um, has used. And uh, this is a quote from um, Spurgeon. Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, I rest my eternity. Now the key to this quote, and, and I, took, I got this quote from another, another book, so um, there may have been more to what he actually wrote. But the key to this quote, and I know Spurgeon knew this, is the resurrection. Because how would this make any sense at all without a resurrection? It wouldn't. This is the gospel, that, that Christ lived a life that we can't live and died a death in our place. Um, and that's where our, our eternity rests. Um, and the resurrection is, is at the very center of that. So if Jesus is still dead and the tomb's not empty, we are, as, as Paul said, most to be pitied. <clears throat> so that's all I've got. I finished a couple minutes early because I finished a couple minutes late last time. <laughs> what else we got? Um, just a couple of resources to kind of echo what you're saying. That um, Habermas book is really good. Um, we give out like, a real small booklet. It, it's a full book, but it's very small. We give out on Easter. Uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Easter. Yep. Um, he's writing as a journalist. Um, there are other books that are written from the perspective of medical doctors. Um, David Limbaugh, who was Rush Limbaugh's brother, wrote one or two from the perspective of an attorney looking at sort of the case of the resurrection. N.T. <coughs> um, Wright as a theologian. Expertise is in first century Judaism. Mm -hmm. um, wrote a book called he wrote a long book called The Resurrection of Jesus from the Dead. It's like six or seven hundred pages, but he summarized it in a smaller book called Surprised by Hope, kind of making a theological case for the impossibility of first century monotheistic Jews coming to believe that not only was Jesus fully God, but also that he rose from the dead. And so, anyway, there are so many great resources out there uh, yeah. that can kind of bolster our faith. Ultimately, it's, as you know, we've said, it's the Holy Spirit that kind of convicts us of sin and shows us the truth of this. But it's also helpful to just kind of 
read these things and say, hey, um, you know, my faith isn't uh, belief in this totally irrational thing. It actually does have um, rational foundations that align with mm -hmm. the character and purposes of God, who is ultimately a rational being um, and capable of supernatural activity, certainly. But um, all these things, I think, are helpful and encouraging to us. In our yeah. faith. And I, I think that is a big thing that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people from the outside looking in that, that think that we have a blind faith. And, and that's one of the points. We don't have a blind faith. There's, there's lots of extra biblical evidence for the things that we believe. Um, and then, of course, the Bible tells us the significance of those things. But, um, but there's, there's a lot. We're, we're, not a, we're not having a blind, a blind faith. We're all about public service. And I thought so. The pens and magnets from ear to ear, missing out of the closet in there, anybody in this room, you are trying to make mugs of them. And they're not in there anymore. So you know anybody and you see them wandering around too. Somebody so we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would convict their <laughs> souls. <laughs> if you ever wanted that many magnets and pens, please let me know. Okay, buddy. Also, as you, uh, as you close in prayer, Larry, our guitar player, having surgery today at 1230 uh, for some intestinal stuff. Um, so if we pray for him as we close in, in addition to our uh, search for the greeter stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that you've given us to look into your word. And Father, to, uh, to look into the majesty of, of your res uh, resurrecting your son. Father, uh, I pray that you would help each one of us to meditate on this uh, each day, that we would go deeper and deeper into this, uh, into this reality. And uh, so, Father, thank you for that. And uh, I just pray that you would, you would guide us uh, with your word. Father, and I pray for the, the uh, service that's to come later. Uh, pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that, uh, that you would fill Pastor Joel uh, with your word that he would uh, that he would give us. And Father, I hold up Larry to you. I pray that you would watch over him, that you would be with the surgeons. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would keep him safe and that, that, that you would heal him. And Father, I thank you for these things, and I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>